Please be seated. Good morning again. My name is Craig, and I'm the senior pastor here, and it's our privilege to have you with us. Thank you so much for all uh, that you do as a church body, and all that you mean to me is a privilege. We are in the book of Psalms. We are in Psalm number 100 this morning. We are going to take two weeks and really focus on Thanksgiving. We try, we try to do this occasionally, uh, once a year or so. Take a moment to focus on Thanksgiving. We'll spend the next two weeks in the Psalms, looking at some of the Psalms of Thanksgiving. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, to please stand with me in honor of God's Word. Finding the Psalms is a little easier than finding Jonah, as we've done for the last several weeks. Just kind of turn to the middle and work your way in. Psalm number 100, we're going to read all five verses. Make a, well, let's begin uh, there with the title, A Psalm for Giving Thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I pray that Your Word would be alive to us. We acknowledge that it is living and active. And I pray that this morning we would see the life in Your Word, that it would give life to us, that it would breathe life into our lungs, Father. I pray that through Your Word You would quicken our spirits that we may understand more, that, Father, even more than understanding, we may appreciate you for who you are. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Do you worship with thankfulness? I love Thanksgiving, we, uh, and I, I'm afraid that it's, it's a uniquely American holiday, but I'm afraid sometimes we kind of skip past it. And at our house, we, we kind of skip past decorating for Thanksgiving. It just, it's just a little too much for us to try and do Thanksgiving decorations for a few weeks. We sort of just throw it all in together. We've been decorating for Christmas since August or so. But I love Thanksgiving. It's an excuse to get together with family and with friends, to eat, to enjoy. Thanksgiving is one of those times, in, at least in our family, when we've been able to avoid argument, we've been able to focus on a lot of good things. Thanksgiving gives you all sorts of excuses to talk about anything other than the things that would divide you. You've got the opportunity to talk about, obviously, the things that we're thankful for. It's in the middle of football season, so you can always find something to talk about there. Basketball season is getting underway, so you can do that. And this year, there's not a presidential election, so we don't have to worry about that. We can come together and we can focus on being thankful. We can talk about the weather because most people are excited, at least at this point in the year, for there to be some cooler weather and to have some relief. But I wonder if you come into the house of the Lord with thankfulness. If you come into God's presence on a regular basis with a thankful heart. How committed are you to thanksgiving and to thankfulness? You're probably pretty committed. Some of you, most of you have to sneeze. This is going to be bad because this is going to continue. Okay. How committed are you to Thanksgiving? Probably not as committed as a lady named Sarah Josepha Hale. Anybody know who that is? Sarah Hale. Anybody of you ever heard of her? She's a pretty important person in the history of our country. Even though most of you have probably never heard of her. 
She is the person who is probably most responsible for making Thanksgiving a national holiday. Abraham Lincoln is remembered for his Thanksgiving proclamation that would set aside an ongoing holiday for Thanksgiving, but he did so only after receiving a letter from Miss Hale requesting that he have a day of our annual Thanksgiving made a national and fixed union festival. Now that's pretty cool that a lady sent a letter to the President of the United States and in the middle of the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln felt it important enough to honor the Lord and to give thanksgiving that he would set aside a day as a national day of thanksgiving. Check this out. She wrote her letter on September the 26th, 1863. Lincoln made his famous proclamation on October the 3rd, 1863. In just about a week's time, she went from sending a letter to seeing the President of the United States respond to her letter with a national proclamation. He invited fellow citizens in every part of the United States and also those who were at sea and those who were sojourning in foreign lands to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November next as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. But you know the most important, or back up, sorry, the most interesting part of that story is not the part that you've already heard. The most interesting part of that story is that her letter to Lincoln, which resulted in a proclamation within that week, was just one letter to one president, but it was not her first. See, Mrs. Hale's advocacy for Thanksgiving had lasted for 17 years, and she had written to four previous presidents. She had been turned down or ignored by Zachary Taylor, Millard Fillmore, Franklin Pierce, and James Buchanan. And then, in the midst of the Civil War, she wrote to Lincoln with the same request that had fallen on deaf ears in times of greater peace and comfort in our country. But she still wrote because she believed that Thanksgiving mattered. She was committed to seeing our nation come together and to thank God for his blessings and his bounty. I ask you this morning, are you that committed to Thanksgiving? Are you so committed to Thanksgiving? And I don't just mean here the day of Thanksgiving. Are you so committed to Thanksgiving that in the midst of terrible calamity and crisis, you would still knock on the door of the White House and beg that the President of the United States set aside a day for our country to come together and to be thankful to the Lord. I'm curious, would you even go so far as to just get up and knock on the doors in your own household, your children's doors, or perhaps go to your your loved ones or your neighbors and say, we should give thanks for all that we've been given. Are you just committed enough to thankfulness and thanksgiving that you would come regularly into the presence of the Lord and come not with a down face, not with all sorts of longing for the things that you want, but instead to come into the presence of the Lord with thanksgiving and praise? Is your worship an opportunity for you to express thankfulness? Or is your worship just an opportunity and excuse to feel good? The psalmist urges us to enter into the courts of our God with praise and thanksgiving. So this morning, as we consider this word, I want to challenge you to worship with thankfulness. I want to ask you, is thanksgiving in your heart or just on your calendar? Let's look and see what the psalmist has to say to us this morning. The first thing the psalmist urges us to do is to worship God with joy. 
worship God with joy. How should we worship? Well, let's read. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. That seems pretty exciting. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. How should we worship? We should worship the Lord with joy, with happiness, with gladness, with, you ready? I know we're Baptists, but with excitement. I know, I know. We should be excited to come into the presence of the Lord. We should have joy in the presence of the Lord. And I I intentionally strung that out. I know it's a one-syllable word, but we should have joy like that. It should be big, a big kind of exuberance. Like our joy in the presence of the Lord should be such that we sort of need to come up with new words to help explain what it means. We need to be like Tigger kind of excited, you know. The most wonderful things about Tiggers is Tiggers are wonderful things. They're top spinner rubbers, bottom matter springs. They're bouncy, 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 fun, 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 fun. When's the last time that you came into worship and it was just so much that you struggled to put regular, intelligible words together to express your joy for coming into the very presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? When's the last time that you had such joy and overwhelming excitement that you found yourself speechless in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? He's the King. How do you worship? When people look at your face in worship, do they see joy or dread? It would be a fun thing for us, and by us, I mean those of us that are up here on this part. Now this would be exciting. I want you all to think about this. If we took a directory, okay, and we listed in that directory, based on your facial expressions on Sunday morning, a scale of 1 to 10 at how joyous we believed that you were. Listen, how many of you believe that if you stared in a mirror every Sunday morning during worship, you'd be pretty excited about what you saw? We should come into the presence of the Lord with joy. And that's hard. The devil will work to steal our joy. How many of you find Sunday mornings to be one of the worst mornings in your week on a consistent basis? Oh, y'all are all lying. Because every one of you with children knows... That everything that can go wrong goes wrong on Sunday morning. I'm a cheater on Sunday mornings. I leave before the children wake up. I get up and I drink my coffee all by myself. I fix my own breakfast. I take Angela's coffee and I put it in the bedroom so that it's there when she gets up. And then I leave. I don't need all the drama. But if it's going to go wrong, it goes wrong on Sunday mornings. The dog that never doesn't listen decides to not listen. The kid that's been potty trained for like six months decides to not be potty trained. The car that has started every other day decides to not start and not do right. Somehow, unintelligibly, there's traffic in the way. This morning on the way here, I took a different... Every once in a while, I do weird things, okay? And I just took a slightly different, different path to the church. Now, a slightly different path just means I drove past the church and took another road just to come here. Sometimes I just do that because I just do. And it's Sunday morning. So you know what that meant? That meant there was a limb laying in the middle of the road. Where did that limb come from? I don't know. I mean, a tree. I know. I got that. Y'all are awful. Well, at least we got some joy up in here. (laughs) Do we worship the Lord with joy? When's the last time you walked in on Sunday morning? 
You shook somebody's hand. They said, man, what you're so happy about? I'm just happy to be here. That's not usually what we say, though, is it? Usually it's like, are you okay? Like, yeah, what's wrong? I'm fine. Why would you ask that question? Everything is wonderful and perfect in our home, and you need to back up. Folks, we need to work diligently to come into the presence of the Lord and to push aside all the other things and to focus on the joy that we have in Christ. If we turn back, so we're in the Psalms, so let's enjoy some more Psalms while we're here. Turn all the way to the very beginning of the Psalms. So even if you don't know the Bible very well, you can find Psalm 1 since we're already in Psalm 100. It's great news to a pastor's ears. All those turning pages are sound, I guess. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. Now listen, when we read that word blessed right there, what does it mean? It's this, you ready? Happy, joyful. We, again, we tend to read the Bible in black and white, and we don't allow it to come into to full living color. And here we've got this word that we've got to pull out of black and white and grayscale, and we've got to write it in vibrant watercolor and oil paints, and it's got to jump off the page, and it's got to scream, Joyful, happy is the man who walks with the Lord. And what? His delight. His delight. Not his despair, not his duty. His delight is in the law of the Lord. Do you worship the Lord with joy? Folks, the Bible says that we are to make a joyful noise to the Lord. You say, well, I'm an introvert, so you don't understand. I'm here to tell you that you just got to get over it a little bit. Now, I don't mean that to be ugly. I'm not an introvert, so I try to be sensitive to those of you who are. It's a challenge for me because I don't understand why. I mean, I, just give you a moment. I don't understand why anybody would ever go, standing up in front of those people makes me want to just throw up and I can't do it. I, that doesn't make any sense to me. The idea that speaking to a stranger would give somebody anxiety, I don't get it. So I'm trying to be sensitive, okay? So I, you're not going to, you're not going to, Kevin, you're not going to suddenly become an extrovert. I get it. It's not going to. And many of you aren't, and that is okay. It's, however, not okay to come into the presence of the Lord like this. Tell me how you feel about Jesus. I'm not saying you can't have an evangelical mime ministry. I am going to say to you, though, that the word here says, Serve the Lord with gladness, come into His presence with singing. Listen, when you come into the Lord's presence, sometimes you've got to open your mouth. I'm not asking you to do a solo. I'm not asking you to sing with the praise team or in the choir. We would love to have you, but that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking you right there from your seat when nobody can see you except the few people that are standing up here. Would you occasionally open your mouth and allow words to fall out? And do your best to make them come out with, with a tune or a melody or a harmony. And if you can't pull that all together, that's fine. Just speak the words and speak them and allow the Holy Spirit to work and to be glorified. Alistair Begg, you know who Alistair Begg is, preacher in Cleveland, but he's Scottish. And uh, he says in the UK, men sing all the time. And that's true. We, we see that on, uh, they, they sing at soccer matches and they sing pub songs. They do all these. He says in the United States, he says, I can tell when a man has been gotten a hold of by the Holy Spirit of God because a man begins to sing in worship. Listen, we should come into the presence of the Lord with singing. 
And when there's a song in our heart, it just kind of leaks out of our mouths. And why shouldn't there be a song in our heart if Jesus has saved us? Worship God with joy. And that does mean, by the way, that it's okay if you're not stiff as a board as you do it. I'm just going to put that out there. Okay? It's okay. It's all right. It's all right if you raise a hand. It's okay if you clap. You can tap your foot along. We might not. I don't know how I'll take it if somebody danced in the aisle. I'm not going to tell you it's absolutely wrong. I'd probably be a little uncomfortable. But maybe that's just me. But folks, what's it look like for there to be joy? Joy that's contagious. I'm going to tell you this. I don't see many people that go to a football game and have a difficult time allowing their joy to leak out. And yet somehow we come into worship and we clamp it down. you got to turn it loose. He's worthy. Worship God with joy. Number, number two this morning, praise God for who He is. The psalmist says, know that the Lord, He is God. Now remember, when we see that capital L-O-R-D in our Old Testament, that means that the, the, the psalmist here or the writer in any other context wants us to know that he's using the proper name for God. Now, if you go all the way back to the book of Exodus, when Moses encounters a burning bush there, and he says, who am I to say that sent me? And God says, I am that I am. Which means, literally, we, we take the Hebrew, Yahweh, that's his name. He, he, he names himself to Moses. He's not just the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. He is a God who has a name, and his name is Yahweh. All right? So, but, but, but here's the thing. The ancient Jewish people so honored the name of God that they didn't write it out. You understand? So what they did is they would come to it, and as they approached that name, they would kind of skip over it. It's been carried over even to our English translations, and so it's, it's translated as the Lord, capital L-O-R-D. But the understanding here is that this is the proper name of God. This is the God of Israel, the covenant God of Israel. But the psalmist says, know then that the Lord, that Yahweh, that your God is God. Why does he give us that double wording? Because he wants us to understand that Yahweh is not just the God of Israel. He is the God of the cosmos. He is the God of the universe. He is the God of all that is and ever will be. He is the king. Folks, we need to come into his presence with joy and with singing, but we also need to praise him for who he is. We need to be reminded that though there may be many who would claim to be a God, there is only one God. There is only one way to salvation, and that is to worship the God of Israel through the crucified, dead, and buried, and risen Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Folks, we live in a world that is constantly urging us toward what we call inclusivism. Very few people are, are universalists. You understand? A, a universalist is a person that says that everyone will go to heaven, period. Okay? There's almost none of those on the planet. You know, no, nobody wants to say that Hitler would go to heaven, all right? No, nobody wants to say that. Um, or, or, or that um, whoever, Saddam Hussein, would get, nobody wants to say that. So there are very few universalists, but there, there, there are many, many inclusivists. 
Now, an inclusivist is probably best understood with the opposite term, exclusivist. As, as, as a Christian, I'm an exclusivist. That means that I believe what the Bible says in Acts chapter 13. That there is no name under heaven by which man should be saved except for what? For the name of Jesus Christ. There's only one way to salvation according to God's word. Now this idea of inclusivism is a uniquely western idea. Just understand that. All right. It's not as though we're going to encounter, encounter many, uh, many Muslims as, as a for instance or Jews, as a for instance, who would say that all roads lead to heaven. Okay? A committed Muslim says that their way leads. A committed Jew says that their way leads. And a committed Christian says that their way leads. We don't, we don't even, even encounter people with uh, perhaps a Native American religion or something like that that would say, well, it's all going to head in the same place. No, they say this way leads to heaven. Even when we get to something like Hinduism, it's so so different from Christianity that though it may be inclusivist in some way, it's still not the same that most Westerners would say when they're trying to argue for an inclusivist perspective. We as Christians are not making a hateful claim when we argue that Jesus is the only way to salvation. We are making the same claim that any other committed follower of any religion says about their religion. The question that we've got to wrestle with is not whether or not there are many paths. The question is whether or not we're following the right path. And based upon the evidence that I see in God's Word, which really comes down primarily to the fact that there is an empty tomb, I am convinced that the path of Christ is the right way. Now, again, I just want to take this moment to remind you all that in spite of the pressure that comes from outside of us, we have to resist and reject inclusivism. I recall years ago I was debating a Muslim in London, not winning that argument just for the record. I wish I had. But some other guy just walks up there. This place was packed. There were people everywhere. It was getting dark. He and I are involved in a very, very intense debate about the scriptures and this dude just kind of comes up from nowhere he elbows his way into the crowd and he gets where he's right up on me and this other guy and he says men could I just have a minute he says I I just want you to understand that you're both right and I know it and I looked at this guy and I said brother I don't know you And I don't agree with anything that he said. I said, he and I haven't agreed about anything all night long, but he and I both agree on this. You don't have any idea what you're talking about. (laughs) And the guy that I had been debating with for half an hour said, yes, please excuse us and allow us to get back to this conversation. (laughs) The psalmist says there aren't many ways. Know that, that he is God. Folks, don't miss that. That is the claim of this book. That is the claim of this book. If you believe otherwise, you are believing so in spite of the claims of this book. A belief that all roads lead to heaven is antithetical to the teachings of this book. Does that mean you're not welcomed here if you believe that? No, you are absolutely welcomed here because I want us to wrestle with this book. Because I believe, 
I am utterly convinced that if you will read this book and submit to the teachings of this book, your heart will be transformed and changed. And you will come to see that there is only one way. And we praise Him for who He is. When we approach worship with thanksgiving, we take our minds off of what we want or what we don't have, and we can focus on who God is. So an update on Facebook this week. Some guy was uh, acknowledging his anniversary on Facebook. You know what I saw in that update? I didn't see him saying how thankful he was for his wife. I didn't see anything that talked about him appreciating his wife. Instead, what I saw was him lauding praise on his wife over and over and over again. What an incredible woman she was. What she meant to him, what she does for their family, what she does in the world around them. He didn't have to tell me he was thankful for Everybody on planet earth that read that knew he was thankful for her. Because he wasn't worried about himself. He had his eyes firmly focused on this woman that God had given to him. Worship is talking to God and about God. And when we can take our mind off of all the things around us, when we can walk in with a thankful heart, and I can stop worrying about what I don't have or what I want, I can begin to focus on the king. I can praise him for who he is. He's in control. And he is God. Praise him for who he is. Because when we acknowledge who he is, we can't help but be thankful. And then finally this morning, thank God for his faithfulness. Why? Because according to the psalmist, he is good and his love endures forever. Can I read that again? For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. What does that mean? That means he's God. He's still God. He's going to be God tomorrow. He's going to be God next year. He's going to be God from now on, and he hasn't left you, and he will not forsake you. He will not leave you. He does exactly what he's going to do. He does exactly what he said he was going to do, and how often does he do it? Always, without exception. He has never failed to fulfill his promises, and he never will. He's always there. Last night, I had a pretty good illustration of this. I, I took a couple of the kids hunting, and uh, one of my little ones was climbing down out of, out of the stand last night. It was dark, and uh, you know, big heavy clothes because it's cold, and boots, and got scared trying to get down, out, down that ladder in the dark where you can't see the next step. And I'm trying to coach down out of the ladder. Come on, come on, you, you can do this. And, and there's that moment of freak out that can come when you're afraid. And, of course, I'm sitting here going, there's absolutely nothing to be afraid of. This is ridiculous, but I'm, I'm, I'm holding my tongue and recognizing that though it's ridiculous from the ground, it, it doesn't seem that way from where he's at. And so up the ladder I go to try and help. But there was so much fear that gripped that it was difficult to get this, that step. If we can get started, there, there's a step there. But finally I said, have I ever lied to you? No, sir. Have I ever lied? No, sir. You've got to trust me because I've never lied to you. There's a step if you would just come down. Please, now, hurry up. Well, 
Folks, if God says there's a step, there always has been and there always will be a step. Do you know that? Even if you can't see the step, if he says it's there, it's there. And listen to me, if he says to walk, you can be confident that he'll light the way. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Folks, we can be confident that when we walk by faith, we're walking not alone in the dark. Do you understand? When we walk by faith, we're walking with the most sure-footed, the most competent, the most confident, the most faithful guide who has ever existed. He created the path that he's asking you to walk. He sustains the path, and He created you. And when He grabs you by the hand, you can be confident that you will not stumble. Yea, though you walk even through the valley of the shadow of death, you need not fear evil, for He is with you. His rod and His staff, they comfort you. Where is He taking you? Green pastures and still waters. He's taking you to His banqueting table where His banner over you is love. Your cup overflows with mercy and blessing. Why? Because He is your heavenly Father. And He is the King. Worship Him. Praise Him. Yes, but thank Him for His faithfulness. Can you look back in your past and see God's faithfulness? One of the things that the that we see over and over again lived out in the Old Testament, even into the New, but especially in the Old. The children of Israel always going back to the Exodus event. Why are they going back to the Exodus? It was the transformative event in their history. It made them into a people. God took a people who wasn't a people, and through the crucible of the Exodus, He made them into a people. So they're always going back because it's a signpost for when God made them into a people. But it's, it's more than that. It's also a remembrance of God's faithfulness. He did what He said He was going to do against all odds. Do you understand that in the midst of slavery to the people of Egypt, there was no way that the children of Israel believed that God was actually going to lead them into their promised land? How many people do you think that there were who could look back and and know that they had come in, 70 some odd persons, as Joseph led them into the promised land? How many of you believe? How many of them do you think believed that as those 70 some odd persons that came in being led by their patriarch? led into the place where God had brought Joseph, that those people that had now multiplied to more than a million, how many of them believed that the chains of their oppression were going to be thrown off and they were actually going to inherit the promise of God's commitment? Very few. And yet God honored them anyway in spite of their lack of faith. And so when things seemed... That was awful. Y'all, all these boxes on this stage are going, uh, it's, I'm going to trip and die. <laughs> For those of you who are listening at home, we've collected some Samaritan's Purse shoe boxes and they're all over the stage. They looked back to the Exodus as a reminder of God's faithfulness. And they expressed thanksgiving for that. Folks, can you look back last week, last month, 
last year, last decade? Can you look back and see God's faithfulness? Oh, so often all we can do is look at the moment or the future and wonder what's going to be or what can I get or what can I have or what will you give me instead of looking back and saying, look, God, at what you have done. Abraham Lincoln set aside that day as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens. Folks, when's the last time that you took time to express thanksgiving to your beneficent Father who dwelleth in the heavens? So this morning I ask you, do you worship with faithfulness? Do you worship with thankfulness? Do you worship with joy? When we come into His presence with thanksgiving, when we look for reasons to be grateful, you know that worship becomes easier? If you don't have joy in worship, if you can't praise God, if, if you can't thank Him for His faithfulness, perhaps you've not taken time to be thankful for all of His blessings to you. Sarah Hale was so committed to Thanksgiving that for 17 years she wrote letters to the President of the United States urging that a day be set aside so that our nation could return thanks to the God who had brought them to the place where they were. You say, Craig, I don't have anything to be thankful for right now. My life is hard. In the midst of a civil war where brothers were fighting against brothers, in the midst of a civil war where people were dying on the battlefield, in the midst of a civil war where the question existed as to whether or not this experiment that we know as the United States of America could ever actually be a United States of America that granted liberty and freedom to all the people that lived on its shores. In the midst of that, Sarah Hale, who was self-educated, Sarah Hale continued to write letters to presidents of the United States and to urge them to be thankful. Not a generic thankfulness, mind you, but to be thankful to the beneficent God who dwelleth in the heavens for the abundance and the blessing that he has bestowed in the midst of the Civil War. You say, Pastor, it's hard for me to be thankful today. Some of you have experienced more hardship this year than I understand. Some of you have gone through many difficult days. And yet I come to you and I say, the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Though the day may seem bleak, though the year may have been hard, though the morning may have been more trying than you want to admit, can I tell you that He is still God today? He was still God yesterday. He will still be God tomorrow. And for as long as anything shall endure, He will always be God all the way into eternity. And because He is, He is worthy of your praise. He is worthy of your joy. He's worthy of your thanksgiving.
because he is faithful and good and true. This morning, perhaps, as we sing, you'd like to stand right there in your seat or at your seat, and you'd like to worship the Lord with joy. Perhaps this morning, the response that you have is to lift your voice and perhaps even your hands and your heart and to sing praise to the God of heaven. Perhaps this morning, you would like to come and and gather here around this stage and just pray publicly to thank the Lord for His blessing in your life. But for some of you, the idea of thanksgiving gives you nothing but a broken heart as you consider how it is that you could thank a God who's allowed so much hardship and strife in your life. Can I tell you that if that's you today, you can come up here and you can lay those burdens before Him. And in your prayers, you can give it to the Lord and He'll take it. He's that kind of God. Perhaps you'd like pastor to pray with you. Perhaps you've got something else going on. However it is that we may serve you as we sing in just a moment, I would invite you to come forward as the Holy Spirit of God works in your life and allow the Lord to work. Miracles only He can work. Let's pray together. Father God in heaven, we thank you for the bounty of your blessings. We thank you that we can come into your courts with thanksgiving and praise. We thank you that you are the king of the universe. We we praise you today, Lord God. We pray, dear Heavenly Father, that you would meet with us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning as we sing? Oh, come to the altar. Sing with us.